we are actively looking at something internally to come up with a uh, process through law and procurement that is sort of dedicated to our department. Um, so uh, stay tuned is all I can say. <laughs> but, uh, it came out of a pretty extensive review and conversations with all of these sister agencies um, and learning from um, some of their lessons of how open-ended do you want to be uh, and and we I think are moving in a direction where we want to focus on sort of putting out a um, couple of problem statements or areas of focus and not just sort of get attacked with a lot of random sales pitches which we already get without having a program <laughs> um, but we have used some of the current processes um, you know some of the um, mobile journey planning so we put out an rfi and we are reviewing some of the responses um, so we try to use existing pathways but we know some of them take a longer time yeah um, and we want something for innovation that can kind of let us pilot things quickly and then put out those results for the world to see before deciding if we want to go through a full-blown process and have fully embed a certain solution into all agency operations Welcome to the Mobility Innovators Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mobility Innovator Podcast. I'm your host, Jashpal Singh. Mobility Innovator Podcast invite key innovators in the transportation and logistics sector to share their experience and future forecasts. In this episode, we'll be discussing about innovation and customer experience in public transit space. Our today guest is the one. Our today guest is a Vice President of Innovation at Chicago Transit Authority. Chicago Transit Authority is an operator of mass transit in Chicago, including rail and buses. The system operates a fleet of 1,900 buses and around 1,200 rail cars, carrying around 800,000 riders every day. He started his career as GIS intern and later joined CTA as a project manager for strategic and resource planning in 2012. He also served as a transportation policy advisor at City of Chicago Mayor's Office from 2019 to 2022, where he helped advance the strategic plan for transportation. He's currently responsible for CTA customer experience and marketing strategy, meeting the movement action plan, fair policy and integration, and innovation project management office. I'm so happy to welcome Malik Vaishnav, Vice President of Innovation at Chicago Transit Authority. It's now time to listen and learn. Hey, Malik, great to have you on the show and looking forward to our discussion today. It's great to see you are uh, leading the innovation in one of the oldest agencies in uh, in transit in North America. I can see the poster in your background, uh, 125th year. I don't know how long it was, but it's great to see. Thank you, Jaspal. Thanks for having me. Uh, it is a few years old, um, but yeah, it, it's a pretty... Uh, old rail system, uh, and it's great to be on your podcast. Great. So I want to start uh, with your personal journey because I was uh, quite amazed to see how you have grown in your career. Uh, you have around 15 years of experience, but I saw like you spent more than 11 years of experience, or I would say 80% of your professional life with CTA, which is amazing. What motivate you to join transit and i would say what part of your job is actually helping you or motivating you every day to continue in this job and if i may add uh, also can you provide what's your role as a vice president of innovation at chicago transit authority 
Yeah, that's a great question. So um, like many folks in transit, uh, people are very personally invested because of interest in trains or buses or, or traveling. Um, that is not that different from my journey, but um, I was uh, an urban planning master's uh, student with uh, also a focus in economics. And uh, I was very interested when I moved to Chicago for education um, you know, many years ago in how you can get around um, so easily without car ownership uh, as, as many of us immigrants do. And um, now when I often visit India or other parts of the world, uh, I'm just amazed by the quality of metro systems in Delhi and Bombay that are way superior to anything uh, right now that we have here. So it's sort of an inversion that has happened in the last 20 years. But um, I initially, after grad school, uh, worked for Era for a couple of years, which is a ma major international uh, design and planning firm, engineering firm, and um, focused on many kinds of transportation projects and really saw that, you know, while a lot of money in the U.S. is spent on, you know, highway construction, lots of infrastructure projects to move cars, um, I really wanted to not go in that direction too far and um, and was very interested in seeing how I could focus on transit and also when I saw CTA hiring for a position in the planning department, um, saw it as a gateway to come back to Chicago as well. Um, so uh, yeah, I joined about 11 years ago in as a resource planner and since then have held many roles at the agency. I think my sort of career trajectory was very focused by the, the Ventra fare payment system, uh, which is an open loop system that CTA started um, bringing on board in 2013, about a year after I had I had been here, and my focus was very much providing ridership analytics and data and reports to other parts of the planning department and the agency early on, and got to be part of the process of that transfer from the old system to the new system and all the hiccups that come come along with it, yeah. not just on the writer experience side, but on the back end of how you'll in it, you'll change and integrate systems and still keep all of your sort of reporting and analysis alive. Um, and that brought me into sort of uh, the finance side of things, how to use some of this transaction level, very rich data that was coming through now in an account-based system. So mm. you could sort of anonymously track behavior very differently than before, because when you had sort of a plastic or, or a mag stripe, what we call it, um, seven day pass, you kind of threw it away and bought a new one. Well, now you're not throwing this account away. You're just constantly adding different products on it for years to come. And that's sort of building this very data rich environment. Um, so that really helped sort of focus us on improving our fare policy to not only make it more equi equitable, but also um, make a lot more accurate assumptions of um, revenue and ridership impact. Um, that brought me into sort of larger fair policy discussions and how transit sort of interacts in the larger environment because it's not just the cost of transit. We were seeing in the early 2010s uh, when the rail ridership was just up and up over here. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest uh, contributors of that was the 
parking costs in, in downtown Chicago in the loop. Um, so it's an interaction with exogenous factors that really influences a person's decision to take transit in many cases. Um, so I was very interested at the same time as um, ride hailing was growing uh, sort of uh, exponentially <laughs> to, uh, and, and the prices were very low to attract their customer base that it was starting to impact transit. Yeah. Um, and that was also a very data rich environment um, and that got me a lot more involved uh, with the city of Chicago and eventually sort of went over there for a couple of years in the mayor's office. Um, and the main thing was that we wanted a more of a congestion pricing sort of a scheme for some of these um, new modes, uh, but then also, you know, pave the way hopefully in the future for a more robust sort of mobility pricing scheme that prioritizes sustainable modes. Um, and yeah, so so that's sort of been my trajectory. And I came back to full time to CTA uh, over a year ago uh, to join a new department. Um, so the chief innovation officer at CTA uh, has been around for a few years. But uh, when when she got to form a full fledged department, I came on board as the VP. And um, it, it's it's very interesting now to sort of focus a little bit more on all of these learnings. Yeah. Uh, at at sort of the most interesting time uh, where the riders, the demand is ready to come back post pandemic. Uh, it's really, do we have a lot of the experience elements figured out, the service elements figured out to sort of accept this new form of travel where um, going to downtown just for a nine to five job will not be yeah. the 40 to 50% of the ridership we used to have but the services are not really designed for this new normal uh, of having that off-peak frequency um, and also attracting riders to take transit and see transit as a pathway for other types of trips. Um, so the innovation department is really focusing on sort of the rider experience, uh, also marketing CTA the right way. And at the same time, we also do manage sort of the, the Ventra fare payment system, the fare boxes. So there's a bunch of items uh, that currently form the innovation department and it's exciting to kind of bring all of this um, information to to uh, you know execute a strategy uh, that will hopefully uh, make us a lot more competitive in the coming years yeah no thanks thanks for sharing I mean there are a lot of uh, good points you mentioned and uh, I can say that you are so busy with the with the job you mentioned with so many tasks you're doing so it's uh, we will discuss some of these points in our discussion uh, the one thing i want to share which you mentioned that a lot of people come into transit as a personal passion and and i tell people that transit is like a religion so once you are converted to this religion it's very hard to, to go out of it so so we are lucky to have you and we are seeing uh, that uh, you are bringing that new approach, the data centric approach, and uh, and and bringing technology into the system because I think that's what uh, is missing. Now you mentioned you work with the mayor office, so I think it's a it's a it's a good opportunity. At the same time, you went there between 2019 and 2022. It was the most challenging time to be in any public office. You know, pandemic, a lot of things were happening. Everybody was uh, wondering what to do, what not to do. So. I would love to know what were your highlight uh, of your career during those three years? What did you learn? And and 
what kind of thing you feel the public office need to do differently now because post i mean i tell people it's pre covid and uh, post covid era so in post covid era how do you think that the public office need to reorganize and think about future no it's a great point i like the religious sort of <laughs> thought process <laughs> very true um so just a few months before the pandemic, obviously we didn't know it was coming, uh, but that October before that is where we successfully passed at the city council, the new uh, sort of congestion fee for uh, for Wright Hill. And that was a huge success story. And also on uh, we were onboarding a new commissioner for the Chicago Department of Transportation and sort of thinking about what is the larger transportation policy platform for the mayor and and what are the things we can get done in the next four years a lot of excitement and then you just you know, <laughs> slapped in the face with the pandemic uh, that definitely sort of changed what the public officials who were really focused on keeping us all safe were doing uh, many of the things in transportation then become sidelined very quickly and in in that phase of 2020 very understandably um, but I think some of the immediate things that I remember working on uh, were related to how quickly can we bring, you know, some form of relief to people who had bought their, mm. you know, monthly passes and things like that. We didn't know how long this virus was going to stay around. Um, so it was just a very, I remember it being a very interesting time where government folks like to make decisions after having enough information to sort of make that leap and we had to make a lot of leaps without exactly knowing mm. what was on the other side a few months out um, so I remember that being a very different approach that everyone had to get used to um, since then I think one of the biggest uh, focus was uh, or should be across the country and what some other places are doing uh, was on biking people were not driving our streets were empty um, there was just such an opportunity and in some ways a missed opportunity at this point in um, reallocating the street space in dense urban areas like Chicago. Mm -hmm. It's very flat. Um, you know, an urban trip is generally between three and six miles. Why are people driving their cars around if they are, you know, fully able bodied and they would bike for recreation, then why not for other use cases as well? Um, so I, I do think we tried a few things with open streets, shared streets, then um, trying to speed up some of the, the bike lane installations and also uh, did sort of pandemic bus lanes on a few routes because there was a lot of inequities we were seeing yeah. uh, in the ridership change. We had at the height of the pandemic, there were a few bus routes and rail lines coming into downtown and the commuter rail that were retaining eight to 10% of their ridership. So nine out of 10 people were gone and then you go to 79th Street on the south side of Chicago, and 55% of the ridership is riding in 2020. And in some of these numbers, you know, maybe, you know, take them with a grain of salt. Uh, I'm speaking from memory, but um, just huge disparities. Um, so from a social distancing standpoint, if you have half the people you're used to seeing on a bus and we are in the middle of 2020, it's a, it's a, health hazard for folks for the employees who are still showing up to work and driving these vehicles that we have to quickly figure out what is how to try to move some service around yeah uh, to make sure that 
this is a very essential part of folks who do have to get places um, that we can't just turn off transit, uh, but at the same time, how do we make sure um, you know, we are able to handle this new normal without exactly knowing where we were headed. So I remember a lot of those challenges that kind of took over, um, but at the same time, the climate action plan update for the city, a new trails vision, an equitable transit-oriented development plan, so many of these things happen in, in the last three years. So I think there's a lot of sort of success stories from setting the goals. Um, I remember when I got there, I didn't see any document except funny enough, a health plan that talked about increasing the mode shift towards non-car modes in Chicago as mm -hmm. a goal. And now it's embedded in the CDOT strategic plan. It's embedded in the public health plan, in the climate action plan. Um, so hopefully the implementation of that remains to be seen, but uh, we have sort of made sure that the, the goals that the city is setting and the strategy it's moving towards is in the right direction. We are not going back into a car-centric world. Um, so I'm hoping that that trajectory continues. No, I, I, I fully agree with you because, I mean, I tell people what you don't know, you don't know. So first thing is to know what you don't know. And then the second thing is to take action on that. So what you mentioned, like bringing those plans, uh, creating those strategy documents is useful because at least now people know what are the important area need to work and what are the vision. And and I, I can imagine that time during pandemic, it was so uncertain world. You don't know what is going to happen next week. And you you have no long-term plan. You were just living day by day and, and making decision on the go. And appreciate, I, I heads off to all the transit operator who were running the service as well as people working in the city office because they cannot work from home. They have to be on the ground and they have to make sure that the service is being delivered. Like you mentioned, 55% ridership during height of the pandemic means those people have no other choice but to go out and work. So, so it was a difficult period. Uh, now, it's behind. I don't know if it's fully behind or it's not behind, but we will we would love to know what's what's going on. But before that, I want to know now you work with Chicago Transit Authority, which is uh, the the second largest transit agency in the US. Sometimes it's a third or second. There is a debate. Uh, I don't know which one, which side you are. And it's among the one of the biggest uh, transit system in the world. Can you share more about the system? What uh, Chicago transit system look like? Because the people who listen to the podcast are from around the world. So it'll be good for them to know. How big is the trans, uh, Chicago Transit uh, Authority system is all about. And also, it's one of the oldest systems in the world. And being the oldest, like you mentioned, when you visited Delhi and Mumbai and Singapore and Dubai, you see new system and you feel like, wow, they have managed uh, to build a good system. But uh, Chicago used to have a good system, but it's just now old. And now you need to think about how to rebuild it or how to bring more innovation and that's why you are here that how the innovation can help to make the system more efficient and improve the service so would love to know how innovation is helping to revive or or rebuild the whole chicago transition sure uh, that's a great question so cta is Obviously, I, I still follow on saying it's the second largest U.S. transit system. <laughs> um, I, I do think uh, what's really interesting is that we, we have the third busiest bus system after New York and L.A. and the third busiest rail system after New York and D.C. 
but LA's rail network is pretty small. It's growing, but comparatively, and DC's but bus network is really small. So when you combine us as a system, we end up coming out as second. But I do think um, LA has some opportunities to sort of overtake us, but also LA has a much a higher population. So as a per capita basis, Chicago will still continue to be sort of uh, much more competitive of a transit uh, city than, than LA. Um, but we have about eight rail lines. Um, they, they sort of form mostly a, uh, a loop-based system. Loop is our downtown. Uh, so most of the rail lines are sort of feeding into the loop. And that's where yeah. some sort of the legacy issues you brought up really come into play because the city has really changed in its patterns. And it, our bus network still carries more people than rail. Hmm. Uh, it used to carry 70% of the ridership 30, 40 years ago. And now it's about 55 to 45, but still, you know, we really forget about the bus network uh, often in sort of this conversation about transit. And it is so vital to Chicago and being that direct neighborhood connection point. So we have, we have about 127 bus routes, mostly on a grid network. Chicago, you probably know, just like Toronto is a very grid-based city. Um, and a lot of the um, sort of um, streetcar network was not retained like it was in Toronto yeah. or Philadelphia. So the buses do a lion's share of the work in moving people and connecting them to the rail system where the rail doesn't go. Um, and you also pointed out that some of the parts of the L, the elevated structure are really old. Um, so a lot of the state of good repair capital projects are in the works where the red purple modernization on the north side is sort of rebuilding some of these track structures and realigning them while maintaining service at the same time so mm -hmm. that has been sort of one of the signature things we have tried to do is minimize uh, the impact of some of these construction projects but due to sort of overall U.S. nature of limited funding, both at the state and federal levels, um, where we are really missing out is the expansion of the network, yeah. uh, right? Because if you're spending billions of dollars in state of good repair and making the system fully accessible, all of which is absolutely necessary, uh, places like New York and Chicago and Boston, we have a really hard time then also finding billions of dollars to build new rail lines or or. Uh, BRT networks, though BRT is a good good opportunity that Chicago really needs to uh, jump into as well. Um, so from the innovation side, uh, we are involved in sort of the immediate meeting the moment action plan of sort of what are some of the immediate rider concerns that we need to alleviate. And a lot of them are more based on sort of the service and other um, safety and security challenges uh, on, on the system. But in terms of sort of the larger customer experience roadmap that we are working on, sort of the pain points in every step of the journey from a rider deciding that, okay, I will take transit hmm. to getting off the system and hopefully choosing to come back based on that experience, uh, a lot of the infrastructure components come into play uh, as we are building some of these newer stations or new rail cars come into the system. Uh, we are jumping in with sort of the key departments such as infrastructure and operations and, and leading some of the aspects of rider experience coming into play. 
So you can think of us as the as sort of the advocate for the writer um, and, and sort of providing ideas for solutions or making that, uh, that connection between uh, what the experts are doing when they know where to pour concrete and what kind of structures we need to, how, how is the writer going to interact with this mm. space? No, I think I think that's that's the most important point what you mentioned is how the customer will interact with the system. A lot of time, we forget about that. We forget about, we try to build something very fancy or we think about something really modern, but then we forget how the customer will interact and how customer will feel uh, connected with that system and you rightly mentioned i think that's a sad part like not many city able to expand at the same time cities are changing we are becoming different kind of a hub uh, the the suburbs are emerging some settler towns are emerging but then you don't have those connections and our service design is still following the old pattern whereas you need to change in london i mean the previous statistic was they change 20 percent of their route every year so in a kind of a five-year you have rebuilt the whole system, which is which is important because your ridership pattern keep changing. And in fact, my next question is also about that. Uh, you mentioned about this meeting the moment uh, scorecard. It's it's quite interesting. I check uh, that scorecard on on CTA website. Love some of the data you have put there, but the sad point was when I saw the first data, it was about the ridership. It's still not there. It's still sixty percent of the pre-pandemic level. But I had a very interesting discussion with one of the agency and they told me our riders are back, but ridership is not back. And I was curious, like, what does it mean? They said, like, people are back in the system. Those who were using transit before are using now, but they are not using in the same way. They are not going to office every five days. So they are going to office two days and three days. So in terms of a rider, they are 100% back, but in terms of ridership, it's still 60, 70%. So it's like a new normal. Do you see the similar trend at CTA is like riders are back, but not the ridership because people pattern has changed. And one point you mentioned in the beginning is like our system is not designed for this new normal. We are not designed for this non-peak hours kind of a service. We always think about 7 to 9 peak or 9 to 11 peak and then 5 to 7 peak and that's it. But now the ridership is spread out. People don't go to office every day or probably they don't go to nine to five. They go to whatever they need to go to. What is the strategy you're adopting or what are you advocating internally to, to make these changes? I know as an as a innovation head, you're trying to convince other people to make changes. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Um, you're absolutely right. We are seeing that, especially with the Ventra system, as I said, it's account-based, so we have a much better ability to track those numbers yeah. in terms of riders versus rides. And our ridership team continues to tell us um, that the number of cards on the system is starting to look pretty similar to pre-pandemic, but the yeah. number of rides per card is what is not returning. Mm. Uh, and then we, we are able to do a lot of ridership segmentation, which feeds into sort of some of the work we are doing on the experience side. And the segments are also telling us um, who is riding differently. So if you were in the, the peak only rail segment, what are you doing now? Uh, and it's very interesting to see um, both from the perspective of a rail network being able to have its own right of way and quickly get you through congested places, um, and then buses being stuck in traffic, that combination is really impacting people's choices right now. So mm. um, if 
say about 15 to 20% of our riders only knew of us as a nine to five, I take 10 trips per week and they're all on rail, 100% rail ridership. They don't even know or have taken their local bus route in the neighborhood, even though it exists uh, every you know quarter to half mile uh, on a grid network. What, what are they doing now? They are the ones who are riding uh, four times a week. And that's where we have only recovered 40% of ridership. Yeah. Um, and then you have the segment where folks uh, who, who were on the 79th Street bus route riding, uh, you know, half of their rides at the height of the pandemic, they are back at 80 plus percent. And then you have the special event segment and sort mm -hmm. of this, I'll come to downtown for fun. Um, and Chicago's summers are, you know, known for being really exciting. And so we are breaking record highs uh, right. at a time in the in the past month, in the month of May and some of the first weeks of June, we have seen sort of weekly records that we would never see in spring when the school goes out of session. Because that was Taylor uh, Swift uh, effect. Yeah, uh, Taylor <laughs> Swift definitely had an impact. But uh, it's kind of interesting because Soldier Field is kind of located. Uh, requiring a couple of transfers to get to it. Um, and even then, uh, just the number of people who want to be out there for sort of festivals at Millennium Park or, or whatever else is going on, they are jumping on transit. Um, so it's not that easy to sort of quickly realign every part of service. But to your point, what you mentioned with London is very interesting. We have, you know, six or seven garages. We have X number of rail yards. Um, is there a future where we can just sort of make sure we are redoing 10 to 20% of schedules and processes every year? So there's sort of a continuous improvement process. Yeah. Uh, so CTA did start a bus vision study, um, but it started right before the pandemic to look at, in some ways, our grid network is designed pretty perfectly if we have five to 10 minute headways. Is are designed in the most uh, efficient way uh, to deliver really good service. You do have to make a transfer, but the transfer is generally coming. With the current headways, that's problematic, um, suggesting that people may have a 10, 15 minute wait on the front end, another similar wait for a transfer. At that point, you, you might as well drive or take the train system. Um, so that's some of the things we have to think about and sort of go back with the planning department and think about this was our bus vision objective pre-pandemic. Yeah. What is it going to be now? Yeah, it's very uh, But still work on that process to provide uh, a network that is ready for the future. Um, I do think that um, bus speeds, you know, people were pretty satisfied in our ridership surveys with our bus speeds when the traffic volumes were low. But the traffic has come roaring back yeah. and our buses are stuck in it. Um, there's a lot of interest in Chicago and improving sort of the streetscapes and and making a lot of our neighborhoods a lot more walkable. Um, and how we combine transit into that is really important, especially bus. So we are seeing some progress on sort of having islands for bus stops that are much more accessible, accessibility is a big issue where our buses could be 100% accessible, but the conditions of the sidewalks make yep. that ride really difficult. But I don't know if 
we have gotten to a point where the reliability and speed of the bus network is anywhere near where it should be. Um, so I think that's a big focus uh, for Chicago in general that we should think about. Um, because I do think some of these new patterns yeah. will be a lot more successful on the bus network. A lot of demand of going from neighborhoods to neighborhoods on weekends, uh, on buses and in the evenings. So sort of thinking of not having a super peaky system, but a sort of a continuous 10-minute frequency from, say, 2.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Right now, yep. the peak is sort of a couple of hours of a super boost of transit if you look at pre-pandemic, so sort of smoothing that out. Um, so some of those ideas are very much in consideration, but um, it'll, it'll be interesting how quickly we can roll some of these out uh, mm. to folks and people can start experiencing the benefits. Well, that's very interesting. And um, I would love to know, like you mentioned about these segment, customer segment, like a peak only segment and regular user and special event. Do you also label them with something? I remember there was a study done long back and they actually <laughs> label these segments. So do you have any code word for these kind of users? Yeah, we, um, I wonder what, <laughs> if you're referring to something we did years and years ago uh, of, of building rider profiles that was before my time at CT and before any of this data rich environment. But right now we we have kept the labels internally to be pretty uh, standard and not like target, you know, where they have labeled you as some kind of a buyer and they know everything about you. But uh, it's more of the biggest differences we see is uh, what we call infrequent versus a frequent customer and um, how different those groups are from each other. And it's understandable one is sort of either uh, sort of an suburban person just coming in for specific kinds of trips or a tourist, uh, the infrequent group really grows over the summer, um, very rail heavy, uh, not so much into transferring. Um, and then on the other end, we have sort of our seven day pass bus riders, like very equity focused. They are really looking to make sure, um, you know, they are every time they get a paycheck, they're going and buying that seven day pass. They're dependent on transit. So we slashed our pass prices to sort of reflect some of this segment behavior. Um, and we did that about, wow, it'll be two years, but um, that has had huge impacts uh, in terms of equity and making sure that our one day pass at $5 and seven day at $20, it's really affordable. And while the inflation has you know skyrocketed, our fares have gone back to sort of um, you know, 20 years in reverse, uh, because uh, one, it's it's a really important objective uh, in terms of a policy objective, but also it's really helping um, make sure people are coming back to the system. Uh, and, and I think that is also a big part of the ridership recovery. Yeah. And also I feel when we talk about climate change and health and, and other things and environment, so it's it's important to bring more people in transit because that's a way you can you can reduce car on the road and the congestion and the traffic on the road. Let's assume if everybody needs to drive a car, how scary the world will be because we'll be stuck everywhere and there'll be so many cars on the road. So it's 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 I, I try to you know tell people it's not about uh, making it affordable. It's also bringing health benefit for everybody. So it's more meeting climate goals and all. No, great to great to hear that because I don't know many agencies which do are doing that. 
segmenting their customers and understanding their demand. And I think that's very important, even instead of taking a blanket decision of saying slash fair for everybody or slash uh, reduce price or, or change service, you know which segment need more attention and which segment is actually working well. Why to touch uh, that point? And, and, and I think the data-driven approach is very important. You can't just throw the ball in the dark because uh, we don't have infinite resources anymore. The resources are limited, so you need to really think uh, what needs to be done. And and I'm really glad to hear that you are already thinking about making these things flexible. I think one point which agencies also need to think about, do we really need 12-meter bus on every route or probably you need to have a different uh, size of bus? I don't know what's your feeling in that area, but uh, that's also I feel is it's not only about service, but also vehicle design and, and bringing more flexibility. Yeah. Um, at one time, CTA used to have 30-foot buses, and then um, now it's standardized to 40-foot and the articulated 60-foot buses. We, we have tried to think about some of the ways in which um, we can better meet frequency if we had more kinds of vehicles serving different purposes. And I don't know if we will be able to sort of manage that while we are also working on electrification of the fleet, which I know we'll talk about, but I do think that our sort of sister agency Pace in the suburbs just launched a Pace Connect pilot mm -hmm. yesterday or day before, um, where some of the overnight service that connects into our Rosemont Blue Line and serves some of the um, airport employer areas such as the cargo which you know have weird overnight hours and they'll they'll be powered through via um so sort of thinking about some of those relationships chicago's sort of regional setup is very interesting where some of the what we call more productive routes and and the dense parts of the system are with cta and then um, some of our suburban services in the collar counties that connect into our network and feed into it and feed into Metra are with PACE. So they are definitely looking into it as our sister agency and moving in that direction. And I, I do see several opportunities even in the city um, to maybe improve access to ADA vehicles or, or just frequency and flexibility with thinking about different kind of, kinds of vehicles or sort of using on-demand sort of models to yeah. think about that. For the most part, we always have enough uh, passenger load factor. Um, most of the day in say 80% of our routes where you probably want a bus, uh, but it, that that still leaves a room for flexibility. And I think we should think about that. So that is on our radar, but our sister agency uh, is doing something right now that's interesting and moving in the right direction. Oh, great, great, great to hear that. Because I, I think uh, the new world is all about innovation. And the first thing in innovation is about testing different things yeah. and see what will work and what will not work. Because until unless you try something, you'll never know if it work or not work. Now, you already mentioned about uh, the CTA plan for electrification. And uh, I think CTA also have a big ambition to have all electric fleet by 2040. It's looked far away, but at the same time, it's not that far away uh, to reach to that level because you need to replace 1,200 buses. And not only buses, but you need to make infrastructure ready. So right now, I think CTA has around 11 buses. Recently, 
place an order for 22 i think one of the biggest thing uh, with electrification will be the the process reengineering like the way you're working today it has to change you cannot plan the buses you cannot think about the assets same way so would love to know what kind of a technology intervention you are thinking to make that transition possible because i think a lot of agencies are scared now especially in in north america i feel because they feel like it will be very complicated but i tell people that with technology we have much better technology available to do so would love to know what is the role innovation department is playing to make that transition happen that's a great question so we now actually have more than 20 e buses in operations we have been getting a few in the last few months so we it's impressive when you have small numbers you can quickly double the fleet but we went from, <laughs> you know 11 to 22 very quickly um and as you as you saw we placed an order for 22 more and have continued to apply for any funding with CMAC grants or LONO or other things that are coming up so that there's a consistent sort of supply that we start building. Many of the environment folks continue to think it's still not fast enough, uh, especially when you hear, you know, China replacing, you know, a fleet of, I don't know, 100,000. Thousands of us. We, we didn't take that model like in the IJA, um, bipartisan infrastructure bill, you know, there'll be more money, but it's still sort of either competitive or the formula. It's up to the agency to go through the procurement processes. So we'll continue to have to sort of build that roadmap, uh, which we have sort of put out the framework in a charging forward plan. Um, innovation's role has been relatively limited because I do think the OEMs are bringing us pretty decent sort of bells and whistles inside the vehicle. So we do look at how to make sure our Ventra tapping system and the fare boxes, uh, all of that is working with some of the really better doorway design and better ADA access into the buses, uh, especially the e-buses. Um, but a, a big chunk of it will be our garages having to be basically rebuilt. One, they are beyond the useful life for what they are right now, given how the capital funding is structured. Um, so a lot more funding will be needed uh, to make sure those garages are being upgraded or being rebuilt. And then they're rebuilt for the e-buses. Yeah. Right? Like that's the future that's coming. So right now our infrastructure and operations teams go in uh, to a couple of garages and they build out a couple of slow chargers for overnight charging. There are a couple of fast chargers we've looked at um, at some of the relief points. So one of the things, I think there are two interesting things with Chicago. One is our routes can be very long. Okay. Uh, so our grid network where Ashland and Westerns, they go for, you know, in one direction, 20, 25 miles. And a run, which is basically an operator, has sort of, you know, breaks at either or both ends. And then they are immediately back in operation. And second part is the winter similar to Toronto, uh, the performance of batteries and sort of the technology um, is really impacted by how much snow and cold weather will be out. Yeah. So we have been testing all of that to figure out what is the life cycle of some of these vehicles. And the earliest couple of buses we got, you know, they had to be sent back and, and some of the upgrades had to be done to them. 
um, their prices are coming down. So there are sort of lots of factors of why it's okay to be cautious. Yeah. Even the zero emissions or low emissions buses that we would buy now in the next 10 years to replace some of the very old 18-year-old buses are infinitely better for the environment. And at the end of the day, the frequency is what will reduce emissions. I think we just like forget about the fact that getting someone out of the car into yeah. the bus, no matter how the bus is being run, is the best way to reduce emissions. And I think we are trying to uh, push on that too. None of that changes the goal to be fully electric by 2040. But to your point, it's 16 and a half years away and there are six garages to be rebuilt. And that looks like uh, a capital project uh, that takes two to three years and you have run out of time. So um, it's it's an aggressive timeline <laughs> for the amount of uh, upgrades and funding that needs to be figured out between now and then. Yeah, I, and I, to be honest, I fully agree with your point. There is a lot of discussion about electric buses everywhere and I feel the buses are much better than cars. So it's already much emission friendly. Uh, it's carries so many people. So per passenger, kilometer emission is much lower than any other vehicle we are using and the uh, rail system is already electric so why not push people to use more rail and buses so their per capita emission will be much lower so this whole debate about uh, whether we should have more buses or we should have electric buses i am more supportive of having more buses rather than just electric because people will not wait for 30 minutes to get an electric bus they want bus next five minutes I'm curious to know what kind of like now you're managing 20 buses. So how you are managing the charging system and planning? Are you using the existing charging you're doing manually or you have already automated some of the stuff? Uh... That's a good question. Uh, we do have, as we go into a new garage. So we first started on the 66 Chicago route that connects uh, Austin on the far west side to Navy Pier on the far east side. Yeah, And uh, we have sort of those quick chargers on the Navy Pier side because that's where the relief point is. And the overnight charging happens at the garage of that route. Um, now we are expanding to 63rd Street on the south side. So the garage that serves that route is getting the latest technology. Um, so beyond that, I think um, it, it's very interesting every time there is an upgrade to the technology, whether it's in faster charging or the battery life has been increased 10%. Our bus engineering team was, are experts at this and I, I know much less than them, but uh, they have to sort of think about, are we good with these 20 buses as they are or these 40 buses or do we need to make changes to them? Yeah. Uh, or are we just gonna focus that the new orders need to have some of these things included? So I think that's gonna be an interesting question where how many retrofits can you do and afford if the technology is going to keep moving leaps and bounds. But we could get to a point sooner than later where the incremental improvements start to get smaller and smaller, where as long as our range is being met and we don't have to have a much higher spare ratio of buses, uh, which starts to get expensive, um, then we have reached yeah. a point uh, of being able to deploy, you know, 100 buses, 150 buses uh, that, that are fully electric. Yeah, no, I, I I think the point to mention about the way technology is changing so fast, it's it's like you can change your mobile phone every year because it's changing. The camera is getting better, the voice. 
but it's hard for these some of these capital asset but i think in automobile sector and and, and that's what i feel sometime from a transit we need to look at what happening in automobile space they are doing this sdv kind of vehicle software design vehicle where like tesla so you don't change the hardware you upgrade the application so you make the battery more efficient so you get the data and i think we need to see those kind of innovation in the bus sector as well where if there is any upgrade uh, you can do over the air and and the system can can use for the next version or or next uh, uh, quality I, i'll not say next quality but basically you can have a next generation of vehicle by just upgrading the software so so which we see in our software that's that's very true uh, <laughs> i like that tesla of bus buses <laughs> very interesting in fact i i was in barcelona and emt madrid they launched a new bus vehicle design and it's looks so sexy and i told them i said it's look like a tesla of the of the bus so so <laughs> i'll i'll happy to share those picture with you now you are managing the innovation like you're working in the innovation department and one of the key role for you is to keep track of the market what new is happening and you must be meeting with a lot of uh, people coming to you reaching out to you sharing new technologies and new trends and you also keep reading like what new trends are happening like we see autonomous vehicle now running in san francisco on public road freely urban air mobility and uh, metaverse and and lot of other things are coming up so as an innovation leader or or somebody who is responsible for innovation at a public transit agencies i would ask what are the trends which make you feel very excited and at the same time what are the things which keep you awake at night like you feel like man if these thing happen we need to be really worried about and at the same time you see like okay these new technologies are available like ai probably i can use it to make customer experience better and and improve services so what are the key trend you you like and you dislike that's a great question i try to avoid focusing too much on on being sold uh constantly about what could be done on our system <laughs> uh, but i do think innovation also means a lot of the process changes we need to bring in so uh, i think partly there is a lot of new items coming on board i don't mind being the second <laughs> to try it out and not the first uh, but at the same time if we can sort of make sure the nuts and bolts at the agency are in improvement and we are shortening the, the time of bringing pilots on board and things like that is also a big focus but i will say that what's really exciting is how much we can use some of the automation technology mm. hopefully fingers crossed we can get there um where some of the employee pressure of being in operations can be made easier yeah. um as i think about paris or even montreal i mean these are very um labor friendly places and they have figured out you know fully autonomous rail systems we we need to think about that in the us more more openly um because frequency is king and it's also not going to happen overnight so mm -hmm. if you can openly start thinking about it plan it out it's still you know many many years away and then the operations positions can become so much more interesting in terms of managing that like yeah. Vancouver and other places so i think that really interests me but on the bus side 
even if we don't get to a fully autonomous bus tomorrow, I do think that some of the level two, three technologies that we are already getting from the OEMs on um, using cameras and laser for pe pedestrian detection, collision, turns, sort of some of the audible sounds you can make about um, doors opening or they're not closed in a much more like friendly way than the beeps that <laughs> we generally hear. All of those like little things have been really exciting to see. And the amount of data they're collecting that will eventually be very useful for sort of some of the vision zero plans. Our yeah. buses are everywhere. So I've always insisted to our DOT and others that we have eyes on the city like nobody else. And if some of these cameras can provide them a lot of the data and, and to us, it can really have an impact on sort of the safety of the system on, on our roads. Some of the other things are sort of connected vehicles. We did a small pilot with the DOT here on one of our routes to just kind of see how we can have the, the back and forth conversation with the signals and uh, what other sort of step two ideas we can implement that included a couple of, you know, garbage trucks as well, because the city has a lot of fleet that needs some of this sort of vehicles talking to each other and yeah. vehicles talking to to fix technology. Um, the other part you sort of mentioned, I'm really interested in seeing how AI and other items can really help us improve customer communications in multiple yeah. languages. Yeah. Languages, you know, we have to meet sort of limited English profi proficiency requirements, uh, LEP requirements. We can do more. So I think some of this technology can help. Um, we are looking at a chat with CTA chatbot features. I know every, everyone and their mother has a chatbot, but um, I, I do think it's really important to open up another line of communication for writers. Because right now you can call in, you can tweet at us, you can send us an email. All of those are sort of two steps. Is there yeah. something that sort of pops up and it may not be a live agent, but could answer a lot of questions for certain customer segments to that point of knowing that some people are asking us very basic questions about our system that do not require any human um, to sort of spend time responding to them. So that is in the works. And the last thing I'll mention is sort of the bus enforcement, the cameras with yeah. AI to be able to map out all of the bus stops, bus lanes, even bike lanes, and all of these things where cars are shamelessly parked and getting in our way. Um, that's something we're really interested in bringing on soon because the city council did pass a two-year pilot in Chicago to create a downtown zone where we can sort of use technology for parking violations. Um, so we are moving in that direction as well. So I know there's a lot of hodgepodge of things, but all of this is sort of bringing on pieces of sort of new and exciting things into our operations uh, and, and sort of adding to uh, our project list uh, in the innovation department. Yeah, so like I said, you 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 are quite busy and you have a long, long, long project list. I mean, all these projects, I know it's take a lot of effort to implement. And, uh, and the point to mention about automation, both for rail and the road uh, for the buses, as well as for the rail, it, it's sad that we don't have many automated systems as of now. But uh, like you mentioned, somewhere you need to start the discussion. Vomata and MTA are now really seriously thinking about it. Uh, in Montreal, we have already a system which, which is working. Uh, Toronto recently did some work in that area. 
So some of the system are coming up and I think uh, the technology is there. It's just the policy side. But, you know, one of the important challenges is the labor shortage. We don't have drivers. We don't have operators available. And yesterday I was talking with uh, with somebody and he said, it's not only about the driver. If you see all kind of manpower is shrinking because people don't want to go into those small manual repeated jobs where they want to do something more creative. So anybody... Like there is a shortage for accountant uh, everywhere. So there, is, there are no accountant who can file uh, your taxes and who can maintain the bookkeep, who can do the bookkeeping and other stuff. So there is a shortage of manpower. And I think uh, when I was looking at the CTA website, you are also hiring 700 drivers this year. 50% is achieved, so which is good because we are half mark of the year and 50% is achieved. But you need to pay bonuses uh, to join, to ask these people to join. And and. I think the hiring is hiring is tough, but retention is even more difficult to keep those people uh, in the workforce. So I would love to know what do you think as some of the short-term and long-term solution to solve this challenge? Because I don't think tomorrow this thing will go away. I mean, APTA did a study and they are predicting by 2025, 50% of the, the driver workforce will be out of, uh, uh, out of like they will be over age and they don't want to continue. They they will be in the pension systems but they want to leave. And do you think transit agencies can do something differently in this area? Like any any thought, any wild thought you have. I know I can't say what CTA can do, but any wild thought as a as a practitioner. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My personal opinion, um I I do think the long term solution is um some form of automation that makes this job easier and also has that variety component to your point that you're not doing the same thing over and over. I do think Chicago is on top of that a little bit unique because the competition for logistics jobs here is insane, right? Like you you have every um, sort of type of company in this sort of arena fighting for the same kinds of skills. Yeah. And CTA is fighting with that um, in terms of attracting uh, frontline employees. I do think some of the, the uptake we have seen in the last few months as we've, you know, being very transparent, putting everything out in the scorecard, um, it's always good to hear. So the scorecard is coming from the innovation team. We are collecting all of that. Um, a quick segue there is that, you know, generally when you put a report out, um, in, in a government agency, you do it once or you do the same thing over and over and over. We change that scorecard every single month shamelessly to mm -hmm. improve it over and over. And I promise you we'll change it again. And mostly to add more matrix, to make it more of a Power BI dashboard. And it's really internally making people comfortable that it's okay. The number yeah. of feedback we get about um here are all the red flags with what you're doing. And then 99 out of 100 do not materialize. Mostly mm -hmm. you've gotten that you're providing us too much information is, is the only red flag I've been told. Uh, but we want to continue to be transparent. We have all the data. We can turn it back around relatively yeah. quickly. And I think it is sort of good to keep us on track. Um, so uh, I, I do think the hiring pace for bus operators has really increased on rail. Um, I think some of the internal processes takes several steps to get there. 
that has a huge impact. Um, you need people to train people. Yeah. That is a big thing I think that gets missed where why can't you suddenly train a hundred operators instead of 20? Well, you're gonna need five times as many trainers. And where do they come from? They come from the folks who are currently operating the system. So, so you can't... It's, it's a very um, interesting situation to be in. Um, I think one of the ways that we can just be very transparent, um, it's APTA, it's Transit Center. A lot of folks have sort of put out reports and just as transit agencies of like, this is the backlog and this is the attrition. So we, we are really being open with that information. So no one kind of gets the impression that magically everything we had in 2019 will be available at the end of this year. Um, I don't think we are removing a bunch of hur hurdles or steps, however you want to call it, but um, some of those are imposed upon us by rules and regulations. So some of it will be a policy-based decision at some point um, with requiring CDL, for example, commercial yeah. driver's license. Um, you know, we can work with the Secretary of State to see if there is something can, that can be done there to shorten the process or make the payment easier from CTA. Uh, all kinds of things that we are we are either doing or are in the process of talking to people. Uh, but I do think at the end of the day, people in this market are getting multiple job offers really quickly. And to your point, it's happening in headquarter as well. If it's going to take me to make six weeks to make an offer, there's an 80% chance that person has found something else. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, there are many aspects of just sort of the speed that we need to provide. And then when people are on board, that they are a huge priority. One of the things is that a lot of the customer experience pain points are directly connected to an employee pain point. Hmm. So the quality of the break, break room, the restrooms, the infrastructure, the um, has an impact to the long-term decision to stay here. Um, and I think a lot of that uh, is, is something we are taking into consideration. I, I love your last point about uh, how the customer pain points are very much related to employee pain points. I mean, if employees, like I was discussing with uh, Columbus, Ohio, the CEO of Columbus, Ohio, and, and she mentioned how they are building a new facility now where they will have a childcare facility for the employees. So people can come to job, they can leave their kids in the childcare facility so that they can perform their duty because it's not easy. And, and if you talk to any people, any driver who is working in this gig economy, like why they are working there is, then the biggest factor is flexibility. They're looking for more flexible option that I can choose the day I work, the, the shift I can work, and I can better manage my family. And I think post-pandemic people have that awareness about, okay, I, the life is very unpredictable. So you have to make sure you're there for your family and you take care of that. So I think what you mentioned about that the providing better facility to employees is very important. So really, really interesting to learn about that uh, from your side. Now, you are also responsible for customer experience and throughout our chat, you focus about like how to improve customer experience and touch point. And I think one of the key thing in today's world is this game theory, how to gamify the whole thing. And uh, the young generation look for those kind of features. Like my kids, they look for some fun. They don't. They don't want to go somewhere just for purpose of going. They want to see something more additional. You know. So I think 
our, our world is becoming like more they are looking some better experience and unique experience and uh, and you also mentioned recently in one of the discussion that uh, kids are the future rider and they are the advocate for the transit network so let's say if the kids are not using the transit network nobody go to mayor office and say hey we need public transportation system and that's what happened early 20s you know when we used to have a streetcar system but everything uh, uh, destroyed during that period but to attract kids you need to do something interesting and that's what some of the agencies are doing like in in translink vancouver recently they launched uh, this transit card with the dc superhero so superman uh, transit card and and spiderman transit card and similarly in mtr hong kong they have metaverse so you can travel in metaverse and experience a rail journey and uh, bright light rain uh, in miami they launch nft collection like you can collect the nft and and all those kind of stuff so some of these are crazy ideas some of these are doable not doable by the public agency what's your thought about that uh, these kind of initiative and what are the thing you are planning to do differently at the cta to make customer experience really you know memorable and uh, they are not coming back to system just to go point a to point b but also to experience yeah we have a lot of fans and a lot of them are young fans right so yeah. <laughs> um and I, i always say that a lot of the the service criticism that that is thrown at transit agencies across the country is actually not a bad place to be to your point when transit was struggling 30 40 50 years ago and there was none of that momentum the quick political solution was to rip it apart and do we want that in a few years where it's like yeah go and you know to balance your budget we're not going to give you any more funding you can cut 30 40% of your service cuz you know no one's asking for it so um we we need that momentum to fight for funding so that long term we have solutions i think what cta did really interesting early on in like 1999 2000 was the upass program the university program so i'm sort yeah. of jumping back and forth between sort of kids and and but um we had to find ways in our sort of fair systems over the last few decades to sort of create that um uh, pipeline of future full fare paying riders <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um chicago is a very interesting place because a lot of people are sort of very you know I, i was born and brought up here um and so most of the stories you hear about folks uh it generally comes from folks who said they they were raised in a family with little money or no cars and therefore they had to take the bus and then they have had sort of positive experiences or that's part of their life that's why they're fighting for it I've always thought about what well, what what about the folks in in a lot of um sort of wealthier parts of the city are their kids not being exposed to public transit because they don't have to or are they still interested in the freedom and all of the things that come with it so we haven't figured out sort of uh, uh what we call a signature venture card we we do do that for special events and other things but you yeah. just given me an idea um to come up with a design for a signature card uh that you know attracts uh or or can target folks who are very young but um they don't need a card uh up to age of 7 you ride for free and then reduced or student fare then you pass and then full fare so up to the age of at least 18 or so if you're part of any of these situations fare is not a component you may have to deal with 
Um, so then we do have to think outside the box in that sense. And it's very interesting what some of these agencies are doing uh, to sort of attract that. Uh, but we are thinking about it uh, from a marketing perspective. So one of the campaigns we are thinking about launching, not thinking, it'll be launching very soon is uh, what we call, we're calling it more with CTA. So uh, yeah. right now the prices to go anywhere are skyrocketing. So if you took CTA, you're left with a bunch of extra money to spend on other things. And that's sort of ha having a picture of a kid, you know, with an ice cream cone or whatever it might be yeah. <laughs> uh, that they do is like, hey, why don't you focus on spending money on this for your kids than on, uh, you know, parking or taking something else that's a lot more expensive. So that is definitely on our mind. But then sort of this idea of learning, there's so much to learn in, as experiential part of taking transit and just uh, kind of being a lot more attuned to everything that's going on. Um, kids quickly pick up a lot of the street names and where they are yeah. so young because of the trains they take that they'll, it'll take them a lot longer to realize they live on this street, but because the station is named that and they're like curious about it. Um, so yeah, a lot of interesting things there and you're just giving us ideas, but our CTA gifts website um, is very, uh, you know, very interesting. And there's lots of local folks who sort of, our brand is very popular and yeah. lots of kids items on it. There's like a onesie that says future CTA writer. Um, uh, so we, we do try to focus on that segment quite a bit, uh, but most of it has focused on sort of, you know, purchasing gifts for your loved ones, but we can also think about how we could do some you know, giveaways or things that gamify mm. uh, you wanting to be on the system as part yeah. of that game. So that's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you remember about the Pokemon game where you need to catch these Pokemon and, and travel all everywhere. And, and it was crazy because people were walking. But because of that game, people start walking and, and sometime in a danger zone, they were walking on the street without even looking the red, red uh, traffic light and all. But I think that's important. What you mentioned about connecting transit with the lifestyle when when the cost of living is so high how can transit make it much more affordable and and give you life back and and i think the other thing i i try to tell people is uh, the mental health issue if you are surrounded by people you will feel better and you never know i know some people who found their life partner on the on the transit ride so uh, you can meet interesting kind of people you can make some lifelong friend uh, you never know what kind of uh, stuff can happen on transit uh, so so we need to talk about these good story more now you are among some of the few transit professional in us who has traveled in different parts of the world because i remember you mentioned about you've been to in canada you've been to europe you've seen system in asia and uh, as a transit nerd you will always try to experience you will go out and experience the system when you go out, you see the system and now you come back home and, and you work. So what are the lessons you think transit system in the U.S. can learn from outside and, and one should emphasize more? And how do you feel that the transit system in the U.S. can reinvent themselves? I mean, like you mentioned, till 2010, ridership was just going up and up and up. A lot of people don't correlate, but I, I, I have some data which show that how the emergence of ride-hailing sector, this whole uh, car booking and on-demand actually has a big impact on the ride-hailing. So how do you think the system can reinvent now after after facing these kind of shortfalls? Yeah, very interesting. I mean, 
when I go to other countries or or see other transit systems, it's very evident that the U.S. Um, it's it's a policy choice that was made decades ago, and now we have to sort of fight politically to change the ratio of funding. And some of that is slowly happening, but as we saw with the with the infrastructure bill, the while the focus on transit biking and other modes was increased, uh, it wasn't as the expense of spending on car infrastructure. So I think that ratio is really important that you can make the pie really big, but if it's still 80-20 and transit is on the receiving end of 20%, I, I don't, you're setting us up for failure. <laughs> so um, I think that is a huge issue. Um, and I think Canada has been really interesting because it is still a relatively car-centric society, but the prioritization of transit from funding to on the street to the quality of the rolling stock and infrastructure in the last 20 years just shows how many more people will take it because right. both Montreal and Toronto at some point overtook Chicago's ridership. Um, and now if you just look at sort of North America, we would be like at number six or something because you would have New York, Mexico City, then Canada, then Chicago. So it's, it's very interesting um, that a lot of people are interested in taking transit the other big change we are seeing is sort of the affordability thing you brought up, but especially in housing, where Canada is notorious for <laughs> being very expensive to live in. Damn expensive. <laughs> um, and the U.S. is becoming more and more like that, where Chicago really is a shining example of being one of a very large cities that is, frankly, still pretty affordable. Um, so the equitable transit-oriented development policy that got um, sort of prioritized um, just earlier this year or late last year, it's really important to make sure that we are prioritizing a lot of affordable housing yeah. very close to transit. And I do think that is an area where we can build a lot of momentum because it, it makes it really easy to bring people to transit um, if we are not going to invest in bringing more transit to people, if we're not gonna expand the systems and such. Um, the other big fascination I have, we have talked about automation, but it's the rolling stock um, in Europe and other places I go to. I mean, there are some really old systems, but then there's just a lot of, one, there's a lot of companies, um, but there's just a lot of interest in like letting you have the best experience on, on the vehicle itself. Yeah, And that has been very interesting uh, to see that we need to sort of bring over here. Um, but, you know, that that is sort of happening a little bit on the bus, like our e-buses, very interesting um, infrastructure in them. But I think we are we are moving on the rail side slowly, but it, it's still something that I always find interesting of how nice some of the infrastructure is uh, in terms of the rolling stock in some of the other cities. So um it'll be it all depends on funding <laughs> at the end of the day so we'll see where we end up in a couple of years where um you know california and new york just stepped up for their transit systems illinois has to do that in the next couple of years uh but let's see if the federal government can do something because they did for covid reverse a lot of things that haven't changed since the reagan era in terms of funding transit operations and um, if that could be a long-term solution, that could really also make a difference. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, funding has a more, more, 
I mean, when you have a consistent level of funding available, you can invest and you can reinvest in the infrastructure. And it's also depend on the policy level. Like in Toronto, we have a new mayor and she doesn't have any driving license. So she still ride a bicycle. So when, when a mayor is riding a bicycle, so you have to make sure that the bicycle lanes and the transit system is good. So yeah. I think it's it's a cultural thing. Sorry, you were saying something. No, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I was telling my cousins, like, you can only vote for her <laughs> because uh, I, I didn't follow the election too closely, but I saw that part of her agenda and I was sold. Um, and, you know, we are starting to see some of that momentum uh, in Boston. The mayor, yeah. is, you know, ran a very transit-oriented campaign. Um, we haven't seen that at that level in Chicago, but hopefully at some point, uh, there's enough of a grassroots movements where biking and transit become sort of a political movement in the city hall. So that would be very interesting to see. I think it's happening. What you mentioned, it's happening. Uh, it's probably not at the pace we, we would like to have, but but it's happening. Like you mentioned about Boston, uh, that mayor, uh, she's she's lifelong transit user and she's promoting and she built a team around she handpicked people who are pro-transit and, and talk about pedestrianization, walkable city, affordable transit. And I think one thing you mentioned about affordable housing, the I think the definition of downtown needs to be redefined in US. In in US, downtown means the commercial buildings and then you live in suburb. Why Canada is a little bit successful? Because in, in our case, the downtown doesn't mean commercial, it means everything. It's housing. And when you have housing, you will you will have uh, ridership. In fact, a lot of people don't know Calgary. They they used they used to follow U.S. model, so they were they were trying to copy more U.S. than Canada. And now they are changing. They are investing like millions of dollars to uh, redesign some of these commercial buildings into housing buildings. So they have project official project where they are converting commercial building into housing. You don't you don't need to build new house. You don't need to build new buildings. So what you are doing, you are redesigning those uh, high skyscraper into uh, a housing unit and make it much more affordable. And I think that's what US need to follow as well. You have a lot of commercial building and now need to rethink if people are not coming back to office, what is the use of those buildings? Quick plug for Chicago. We are doing the same. Maybe the scales might be a little bit smaller, but uh, I was at the mayor's office when the recovery plan was being put together. And there was a lot of focus on people just need to come back to the office. And you still hear that, but I think there's a little bit of a recognition that because US built a lot of its infrastructure for one use purposes, you're obviously suffering the consequences now. And um, one of the LaSalle corridors in, in core of our loop, um, the focus is on retrofitting some of the vacancy into residential housing with some affordable goals. So we are headed in that direction. And um, I think Loop is the neighborhood, downtown neighborhood in the US that has had added the most people in the last 10 or 20 years. Like in some stat, we come out at the top in terms of residents that have been added um, yeah. in downtown Chicago. So uh, I think that's absolutely true. If, if we just focus on one use, then you're not going to have that much gain on all all sectors, including uses of restaurants or just people on the sidewalk and Everything. Also transit systems. It, so. It's also about the safety of the city. You know, when you yes. see more people on the street, it became much more safer. You know.
Now, one thing you mentioned, the challenge that any innovation executive face is the process. And uh, it's not about bringing new technology. It's also re-engineering the whole process or change management. That's uh, one of the big challenge. And I think in, in management world, we now talk about open innovation, design thinking, agile methodology. I mean, these are new age uh, management practices. And I know many agencies around the world are using it like TFL. They have a design thinking expert in-house. Some of the agencies follow these agile uh, methodology. Would I'll be very curious to know what is your perspective on that? And and does you follow some of these practices that see CTA and and also do you have any open innovation program to work with startup like in New York, MPA, MPA New York, they have a program to work with startups. So is anything happening at CTA? That's a great question. So the first part is that there are a few PM positions in our department that are new. Okay. Uh, focus is on bringing that kind of thinking, one dedicated to writer experience, customer experience, and um, the other on some of the operational sort of pilots to your point, either internally, there are some sort of, you know, laser intrusion or camera readability uh, through which you can tell if there's any intrusion on the tracks. Okay. You know, very interesting sort of concepts, um, but we need that kind of you know, very clear pathway of how to implement this quickly, how to do it right, and then be okay. Like we'll take the ownership of failing. I think that's important because yeah. a lot of the other departments, uh, one don't have the bandwidth, but also are sort of, they didn't come up with that idea that it's okay to sort of fail. Um, the second question on sort of having uh, the ability to work more openly, we are actively looking at something internally to come up with a uh, process through law and procurement that is sort of dedicated to our department. Um, so uh, stay tuned is all I can say. <laughs> but, um, it came out of a pretty extensive review and conversations with all of these sister agencies um, and learning from um, some of their lessons of how open-ended do you want to be uh, and and we I think are moving in a direction where we want to focus on sort of putting out a um, couple of problem statements or areas That's of right. focus and not just sort of get attacked with a lot of random sales pitches which we already get without having a program <laughs> um, but we have used some of the current processes um, you know some of the um, mobile journey planning. So we put out an RFI and we are reviewing some of the responses. Um, so we try to use existing pathways, but we know some of them take a longer time. Yeah. Um, and we want something for innovation that can kind of let us pilot things quickly and then put out those results for the world to see before deciding if we want to go through a full-blown process and have fully embed a certain solution into all agency operations. Yeah, I mean, I, I say it's like a dating uh, thing. So you date uh, and you see whether it's a solution which has long-term impact or not, whether it's scalable or not. Like some of the solutions are good, but they cannot. you cannot scale it up. And and what you mentioned, like I know in Paris, they are using a lot of drones and Boston Dynamic dogs to do track inspection because it's it's not possible for human to go every night and, and check everything. So using computer vision, they are they are... Uh, analyzing and finding out if there is any problem with the track and and reporting back to the to the control center. So I think some of these technology will be good and 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 I think the the real 
real way of working is to pilot, to understand whether it fit within the organization or not. So glad to hear that you already have uh, some of these problems treatment defined and it will be come out in the market. So happy to like the people who will be listening, like there are a lot of startup founders who listen to the podcast, so they will be interested to to apply and participate. So, so your mailbox will be busy. Yeah, just stay tuned to for a couple more months, and then hopefully we'll we'll be on track for being able to accept some of that. <laughs> Great. Now, this is my last question, and Malik, and um, it's a talk of the world these days about AI and generative AI. Everybody is talking about that, how generative AI and AI will change the world, change, take away our jobs and, and market will change. But my point is, how do you think these new technology can be implemented by transit agencies? And I did some, some discussion on this and there are some potential use cases, but I would love to know more from you. Like, have you explored any use cases for generative AI uh, in transit world? That's a great question. I mean, um, I, I still kind of think that some of just the detection technology we talked about is very interesting. Um, the able, the ability for AI to generate um, sort of messages or indicators for what they find through uh, pet and collision tracking on buses, where right now we are collecting the data or it's coming in but you need someone to go in and analyze. I can see a lot of some of these things like the KPIs, uh, how to use AI in transforming the data much faster. I yeah. can see that uh, being a big place. Um, the chatbot could have components. Uh, I mean, it's already sort of using, um, you know, canned language, but then it can learn and do some predictive work for us where the responses are getting much more tailored for the rider. Um, so I, I do see some of those areas. Um, I think the most interesting thing I've sat through is still the, the ability to sort of map the whole streetscape through the bus cameras and sort of identify every piece and sort of improve accuracy as you drive more on the route. And beyond just citations, that's just so interesting from like a public works perspective of knowing what's the quality of your infrastructure um, and when can you predict that you'll have X percentage of potholes <laughs> or, yeah. or other issues? Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of interested how it can fit into the larger transportation industry. Um, there's a lot of predictive maintenance of rail tracks. You, you kind of mentioned the, the drone stuff, but also some of the rail cars um, have a lot of technology um, providing that connection with how many passengers are on the vehicle. Yep. A lot of that has existed pre-AI, but I'm hoping that the AI will make it uh, a lot easier for agencies that haven't implemented some of this to do it a lot quicker. So I think how could we use some of the ideas that you know Japan has in everything you can learn about the system mm -hmm. um, by just looking at all kinds of customer information that we could bring here faster if we can use the AI technology in some cases. So I know that's not a complete answer, but those are some of the areas that I've been thinking about uh, that CTA currently might not have that we could bring on the system. Now, I, I fully agree with your point about like you already have some of this data, but you don't take action. And what with AI you can do is actually go step further. Like if any incident happened, I was giving the example, if incident happened, the bus break the windshield or something, 
the automatically the maintenance department know that they need to ready a maintenance the the windshield for this bus it's coming to this depot or this area by this time and then automatically that process can be you can assign the worker who is available checking out the schedule seeing his time like how much time he's taking for other job and by that time he'll be free so matching up those things so i think with ai you can make the process much more efficient and faster and and i know you are you love data and you are using data for a lot of your decision making so that you can expedite more with with ai and and do that no thank you so much malik i mean i really enjoyed our discussion uh, it's quite long we we spoke but uh, i always end uh, my podcast with a little bit of rapid fire round and it's very quick some people like it some people don't but uh, the idea is to know personal side of you if you are ready i'll quickly launch this rapid fire do it i didn't prepare for it so you'll get a real rapid fire from you. <laughs> just respond whatever comes to my mind that that's what we want so you know my first question is if you were not in transit or or mobility space or urban designing what other profession you would have selected oh i i always wanted to go into sort of weather forecasting that was ah. very clear from the beginning but i hated physics in college i was like this is terrible i'm not not doing this <laughs> <laughs> interesting now you travel all around the world so which is your favorite city and why that's a very tough question because there are so many answers uh very privileged first world uh, response but i i was um very impressed with tokyo i mean a lot of people would say that um but i went to beijing in 2007 or 8 before the olympics and i was uh, it was the most surprisingly like i was sur- very pleasantly surprised by beijing uh but now i think it would be unrecognizable 15 years later so i don't know what it looks like it's it's i was there in 2018 and i can tell you it's completely different it's uh, <laughs> you know they have eight ring road it's a 14000 square kilometer city and the la- the last ring road it can take you like more than 26 27 hour to just complete that round so it's so long so that city has grown it's it's amazing to see what happened uh, yeah. in beijing and a lot of chinese city so what you said is absolutely right now what is the one thing do you wish you should have learned early in your career or in your life oh that's a tough one Um wait I already speak a few languages but I started taking French in high school and I wish I mean I grew up in a smaller town in India before that so I wouldn't have access to it but <laughs> it would have been more interesting and I think I would have learned and retained so much more uh if I was exposed to it even sooner um so I do miss that like I I was in Paris and I was like oh I still remember and pick up on a few words but one they don't like people who can't speak proper french anyway so they are rude to you but um i wish i could speak french well today which i can't and i don't think if i try to learn now i don't think it's going to work but uh, maybe i'm wrong <laughs> and, and with ai you i don't think you need to learn like now you go different city you take out your phone and google translate people just speak and you get a real time translation in english so i don't know how the language will work in future that is so true yeah ai for language translation that's a good one i mean now facebook meta and uh, google they are building so many languages in their system which is and real time i do a lot of uh, document translation it's so good uh, and so easy like within 5 second you can translate anything 
Now, my fourth question is any memorable or influential moment from your professional journey? Like what lesson did you learn from that experience? Something you felt like, man, that happened, but these are the lessons I got. It. It's a very good question. Um, I mean, in the recent memory, uh, I would have to sort of think about that, but in the recent memory, uh, when I was in the mayor's office, like my professional upbringing has been very much focused on uh, having a data-driven approach and knowing answers to a lot of questions and sort of guiding decision-making. But then you go on the political side and you're in the room where the aldermen have to vote on something. It's a very different environment and sort of knew that, but to sort of be in the room and experience that was very interesting um, that people can manipulate data and those who want a certain outcome will use the same information you're giving them and present it to the world in a very different way. So that, that was a very interesting experience. And um, I think when you're part of a data team, you're so focused on accuracy. I would just spend so much energy making sure like a ridership, ridership report wasn't off by one digit. And there's importance to that. Accountants can't not ignore you know one cent of a dollar uh, but now in the position I'm in it's like it's so much more about the story and not about that specific number um, so sort of focusing a lot more insights and how that turns into action um, became a lot more important uh, to me uh, and I and I wish it would have saved me a lot of sort of angst early on if I knew <laughs> that that's the end result, that it's okay to be off by a number and all yeah. of that. So very, it's very interesting journey, just being part of the same agency uh, from that start to now. So, No, I, I, I love that point because recently I learned this point about data driven and data informed. So, you, yeah, you know, like some people are data driven decision making, but you should have data informed. Like you can't rely purely on data because data will keep evolving, the way situation will change, and it's hard to predict. Yeah. Okay, so this is my last question. If you can change one thing in life, what would it be? Okay, that's like an impossible question to answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's say you get a superpower and you can change one thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you want to make it professional, and I did, I forgot about it in the in the what keeps you up at night answer. So I'll combine the two for you, but um, very concerned about the size of vehicles and sort of the, the vehicle industry, personal vehicle industry completely out of control um, and, and basically setting our cities up for a disaster. So that is a huge concern of mine, but um, I don't know how I could change that with a superpower other than, you know, make that impossible, <laughs> uh, but I do think we need some serious solutions there, uh, especially in the US, so. You can you can put a command that any vehicle which is oversized has to shrink and uh, half of the size. <laughs> yes. yes. No, great, thank you so much, Malik. I mean, I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, really good to talk to you and get your feedback. And I, I know your job is not easy and uh, talking about innovation, it, it's take a lot of time and efforts to convince everybody. And I love what you mentioned about how you're bringing these problem statement and work with innovators in the market. So we will, we will help to promote that and, and see if we can bring some more new idea to you. 
thank you. This was very interesting. Thank you for thinking of us and hopefully, you know, it's an interesting conversation for all your listeners. So thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like this podcast, thank you for listening to this podcast. If you love this episode, thank you for listening to this podcast. If you like this episode, please don't forget to give us a five-star rating as it will help us to spread our message. If you have any feedback or suggestion to improve the, if you have any feedback or suggestion for us, please do write to us info at the rate mobility-innovator.com. I look forward to see you next time. Thank you.